Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Uh, Today, we're going to look at the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the ninth chapter to the third, from the 36th verse of the ninth chapter to the eighth verse of the tenth chapter. And uh, it is the summoning of the twelve disciples and the commissioning of them to go out and to preach. It begins then when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt sorry for them because they were harassed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. This, when he says he felt sorry for them, that's kind of a, that can be kind of a thin emotion for us, but in the words of the scriptures, it's a very, very thick, deep emotion for Jesus. It means coming kind of from the depth of his heart um, he's, he, sees, he sees the crowds, and he knows that the crowds are looking for something, and he knows that they, that they are uh, disorderly, and that they're rejected and dejected, and that somehow or other they're in great need and they're seeking something. But he said, you know, it's like sheep without a shepherd. They're seeking something, and, and there's no one to give it to them. I think that we can create images of our own particular world, our own particular society today. We don't have to go back to the first century Palestine to find people who are searching and seeking and uh, finding no one who can speak to them, no one who can talk to the depths of their hearts, no one who can talk to the depths of their minds or their feelings or their intuitions. And so the result of it is they do become disorderly. They do become dejected. There comes a great wave of negativity. And we're seeing in our own society a great wave of anger because people are not finding what they seek. They're not acquiring what they desire. And you know, this has always been the condition of humanity. And if we even go back through the last, say, 100 years, Humanity has sought so many things. It has sought so many things without an understanding of where it really will find some kind of fulfillment and some kind of peace and happiness. So it seeks it in, 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 in the 60s, it seeks it in, in the sexual revolution. And then it seeks it in, in uh, drugs. And then it seeks it in heavy metal music. And then it seeks it in, uh, <clears throat> in the secular culture of one sort or another, materialism, the acquisition of things, um, politically in power, in influence, in wealth, and all those kinds of things. All of them, um, while maybe creating an immediate satisfaction or an immediate kind of sense of fulfillment from accomplishments and achievements, In the long run, if society found what it was looking for or even knew the way to get there, it would be less destructive, less chaotic, and it would be more peaceful and more humane. We would not have the violence that we have. We would not have the crazy wars that we've been through. Few of them, a few of them bringing about anything constructive, anything good for humanity. 
And so war then simply does not become the answer to anything. And, uh, and I think that, uh, and neither does radical materialism, radical secularism. Um, now all of the, uh, the new uh, ways of kind of re trying to reconstruct the identity of the human person and so forth. This is, the people were harassed and they were dejected. So it's 21st century, it's first century. It's a sad commentary on the condition of humanity. And Jesus says, they are like sheep without a shepherd. And sheep without a shepherd, as we know, are self-destructive because they have no means of self-defense, which is really very strange um, because most animals do. But sheep have a lack of capacity for that kind of, of, the, of reaction. And so they need to be cared for. They need to be looked after. <clears throat> and so basically, Jesus then looks at his disciples. He looks at the 12 and, and, he, and he says to them, the harvest is rich. In other words, the need is great. And uh, there is within that great need a certain openness in the search, but the laborers are few. So ask the Lord to, har to the harvest, the Lord of the harvest, to send laborers to his harvest. In other words, how is it going to happen that the lost generations and the lost uh, cultures are going to be able to find any kind of peace, satisfaction, sense of purpose, sense of meaning that extends beyond the present moment. How is that going to happen? People are going to have to go out and encounter them. People are going to have to go out and attempt to interact with them, that there might be an opportunity to, in this interaction, to create some kind of sense of purpose and meaning in the souls of those and the hearts of those who seem to have none, and even those who seem to have no interest in having any. So he summoned his 12 disciples. What's he going to do? What's Jesus going to do about this perception that he's got? What he's going to do about this deep sense, this deep feeling that he has of kind of the sadness of the chaos of the world in which he lives, what's he going to do? He summons the 12, and he gives them authority. This is interesting. If you're going to lead someone, if you're going to be able to teach someone, if you're going to be able to, to as, as the Holy Father says, to accompany people on a life's journey, you have to have a grounding to do so. There has to be some kind of a position um, within even an interior position even that enables you to do that because there has to be trust. And people find it very difficult to trust. In fact, is it sometimes very dangerous to trust simply in another human being. When that other human being, however, represents something benevolent, something wise, something true, something good, then there's a greater security in being open to them and, be, and being willing to follow them and being willing to be instructed by them. And so Jesus gives authority to the disciples over unclean spirits. 
and the power to cast them out. What are the unclean spirits of our age? The unclean spirits of our age tend to be ideologies, tend to be those things which shut down the critical um, functioning of the human intellect, the human mind, the, the honest searching of the human heart, the honest quest for authenticity in life. The ideolo ideologies, they, they, are, they are in fact the unclean spirits. They, they obfuscate that which the person seeks. They somehow or other distract, distract and deceive the deepest meanings, the deepest purpose, the deepest thoughts and desires of the human heart, the human soul. And so, but with authority from Jesus, the 12 disciples, the apostles, are given power to overcome these things and to cure all kinds of diseases and sickness. We know that in the biblical sense of the word, that diseases and sickness are the fruit and the function of human sinfulness. Not, I did this, therefore this happens to me, but humanity has burdened itself and therefore it is distorted, therefore it is somehow or other damaged by its, the weight of its own sinfulness. And we know that Jesus sees it this way, for instance, in the story of the paralytic, when he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees become immediately distressed about that and upset about that. And then Jesus finally says, well, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat and walk. And so I say to you, pick up your mat and walk, and the man does so. Um, that, that this res restoration of the human person to wholeness is very much a part of the forgiveness of sin and very much a part of the truth that the apostles um, have been have been sent to uh, to accomplish the gospel. Then Matthew then turns, and these are the names of the twelve. This is not just kind of an, an unknown quantity. This is not just a group of guys that somehow or other that Jesus finds. They have names. They're persons. They're real persons that he chooses out of the world to give authority to go forth and to un, uh, to outcast cast out the unclean spirits. And, uh, and that authority exists in the apostolic um, authority of the church to go out and to cast out the deleterious impact of false ideologies on the humanity of each human person, on their soul, their mind, their heart, their life. But these are the men that, that, um, that Jesus names. Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who was to betray him. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them as follows. So first of all, now this instruction is going to be really interesting. It's not exactly at all like the 72 sent out in the Gospel of, of Luke, which are sent out kind of to the whole world. This is the first extension of Jesus' own mission for the redemption of Israel. That he, Jesus is saying to this group at this time, it is Israel that is so in some way um, bound by, by the falseness 
of the understanding of the age. You're to free them from that in order that they might authentically seek that which has been promised. We know, for instance, in the, um, in the Gospel of Luke, when the story of the road to Emmaus, when Jesus is walking along with the two disciples, explaining to them how the scriptures has foretold his coming. So this is not go out and teach something new. This is go out and teach the fulfillment of what these people of Israel have been given all their lives, not only as individuals, but as a people. They have been instructed in this, and they have been prepared for this. That's why they're the first ones to go to, because they're the first ones that should be open, because they're the first ones who should have some kind of a deep understanding about what this new message is all about. So he says, do not turn your steps to pagan territories and do not enter into any Samaritan town. In other words, now, right now, in this very first sending, let's take care of the first mission that we have to reveal, to help people who have been prepared to understand to understand what is now taking place in the midst of them. We'll turn to those who have had no preparation later on, but right now, let us take the first task ahead of us, those who should be responsive and those who should be able to, to take the, uh, be, should be able to, to understand and, and, and find something within themselves to connect what they're going to hear, to connect with what they're going to hear. Then he says, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go to the ones who have been prepared for this message. And as you go, proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. And so what are you going to do? You're going to tell them that this expectation of Israel is among us. We transfer that into our own time and into our own age. And we find, too, you know, this, this first evangelization of the church should be the reconversion of its own people. Those who have drifted away for a number of reasons. Um, some of those reasons, I suppose we could say, are legitimate. Certainly the, certainly the disillusionment about the holiness of the church that has has afflicted the contemporary church through the sex abuse scandals that have gone on, um, through, for instance, the other types of scandals that have gone on within the church. Um, <clears throat> in, in many ways, we can say, how can we call the church holy when we find such sinfulness within it? In a way, it's what the Hebrews said about Jesus. How can we find this man a prophet when he's willing to carry the sins of, of, of all of the people? He eats with sinners. He eats with prostitutes and so forth. He therefore accrues to himself the sins of humanity. So why should we take him seriously? It's exactly the same thing that's being said about the church today. It is, has sinners involved with it. How could it therefore be, be holy? And, um, and so basically then, um, he's saying that this is the first line of evangelization. I know, I wonder sometimes, as I think people say, well, you know, we have Catholic schools, but, you know, only half the children in the schools are Catholic, the other half are not. I think there's two ways to look at that. First of all, 
we're kind of violating the principle of this gospel, but not the principle later on of going out to all the nations. That's one thing we could say. The other thing is what, uh, what wonderful opportunities we have for evangelization. Not to try and proselytize, not to try and, and impose anything on anybody, but to expose young children to the beauty of the faith and to expose young children to the wonder of the beauty of Jesus Christ and his mother and the communion of saints and the lives of the church and the, and the charity of the Christians and all of those kinds of things. So it is an evangelical opportunity. So what do we choose? We can't say, well, it has to be either or, because certainly in the gospel, it's, 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 uh, it's not either or in the whole context of the gospel. At one time, it's one thing. At another time, it's open and expanded into something else. We might, be, we might want to reflect upon that in, in our judgments about the structures of the contemporary church. We also know that in this alienation from the faith, it's not just the sex abuse scandals at all. It's certainly in many ways um, the, the seduction of the modern world. The Christian life can, can make some demands on us, and the Christian life can really be for us you know, a, a, a serious problem. Um, one, one of the things, certainly, is some of the moral teachings of the Catholic Church. We would find it demands sacrifice of the human person to adhere to them. The society says, you know, the, 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 the sirens call us from the rocks saying, you know, oh, that's too hard. Why would you do something that difficult, you know? Go ahead. Just go ahead. You know, first of all, you'll feel better about it, and secondly, you don't have to deal with it, with this all the time. Go ahead and have, you know, irresponsible sex um, before marriage. Go ahead, take the life of the child. Go ahead, do this, do that, do something else. Um, after all, and we remember the difficulty of navigating the the navigating the straits where the sirens were calling constantly. Um, and the ships were crashing upon the rocks and upon the shore and trying to, and being drawn to them. Well, that kind of wreckage is still going on within the church. And that's to say now, in some way, that <clears throat> the will of the Catholic to believe is being crushed by a number of things, both our own failures as Christians, certainly. And not only that, not only the sex abuse, but the failures, for instance, of, of, of the hierarchy sometimes, of the clergy sometimes, of experiences with religious women, which became kind of a cultural shtick and urban legend when the revolt came against the idea of religious communities. Much, much of what was put forth was simply not true. Um, some, of course, was. There's always a kernel of truth in most lies, if they're to be, if they're to be uh, taken seriously. But all of that, but then there's also this other thing, the sirens wailing on the rocks. Come, you know, go ahead, just go ahead. Do what you want, be free. Change, put your life the way you want your life to be. And ask, ask at the end how many people who were seduced by the sirens, how many of them find a great peace at the end of their lives? How many of them can go back and, and take 
and take a positive stock of how they have lived. Um, we find this, this vitriolic critique within the church of all the things that we're supposed to be doing and don't do. And I think when we hear all of that sometimes, we think of Jesus turning to Peter after Peter had confessed him as Messiah, saying, get behind me, Satan, you are thinking as humans do, not as God does. We have to be submissive to the word of God, and yet we cannot do that if we do not know it, and if it does not come to us in some kind of authentic and some kind of credible way. And then he says to them, cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, cast out devils. What are all those things? All those things have to do with the lifting of the burden of sin from humanity when we take it in a biblical context. You received without charge, give without charge. In other words, this is, this is an interesting thing. This is a great, great lesson for us. Do you know, one time I recall in a meeting that, um, that uh, I heard the clergy being excariated because they were not sufficiently professional. And, uh, and, and it, it crossed my mind, and, and actually I think I articulated this, you know. We're not professionals. We live a vocation. We live a call. And that's very different. Does that mean we can be irresponsible? Does that mean we can be sloppy? Does that mean we can, you know, nurture and, and relish our incompetencies, which we have? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But when we're talking about professionalism, we're talking about something else. I remember the time that I heard the comment, you know, we were making 25000 a year, and the Protestant minister down the street was making $250,000 a year. He was a professional. Um, we aren't. We couldn't, the church couldn't afford us to be professionals, nor would it be what a vocation is, nor would it be a call to service, nor would it be, and, and this doesn't mean, but, uh, you know, Jesus also said the labor is, is worth his wages. In other words, yeah, we, we're not disembodied spirits. We, we have to live, but we don't have to live. As, as professionals, we don't have to live, you know, with, with, with great resources and great wealth. We don't have to do that at all. We need sustenance, we, we need to be able to live a decent life, and, and that's the labor, you know, earning his wages. But we certainly should not be charging um, for the services that we provide. We know that there are stipends for um, weddings and, and so forth, uh, and for masses and everything, but no one has to pay those. They can, re they can request the Mass and receive it without making a payment. And they can get married and get baptized without giving a gift. If they wish to do so, that's fine. If the priest wishes to accept it, that's fine. But, but this is not, you know, a pay-as-you-go operation. Now, unfortunately, we can't say that about Germany. Where, where if you don't pay your church tax to the government, the Catholic Church won't let you get married or buried or baptized, uh, which is, seems to me pure simony. Um, but we don't have that. We don't have that in most of the world, and we shouldn't have it in most of the world. We should go into this willing to live without, if necessary. We should go in this willing to give everything, 
with no return if necessary. In the ordinary course of events, certainly, the priests and the religious need to live in the modern world. However, we do not need to make great profits from the modern world. And we do not in any way, shape, or form, uh, should we in any way base the service we give on the capacity, on the wealth, or the capacity to pay of the people we serve. And I think that most priests are quite capable of moving between very wealthy positions into very poor positions and making the adjustment in their life without any effect whatsoever on the care and concern that they give to the people to whom they are sent. So here we have then, in this gospel, we, we have a problem that is not just a problem of the first century, but it's a problem in every century. It's a problem in the 20th century. It's a problem in the 21st century. It's an issue, those who are like sheep without a shepherd, meaning those who are seeking and searching in the world. And somehow or other, the word of God, the word of truth, the word of, is, is being blocked. And how is it being blocked? It's being blocked by unclean spirits, Jesus says. It's being blocked by ideologies. It's being blocked by customs. It's being blocked by convenience. It's being blocked by materialism. It's being blocked by violence. It's being blocked by hatred. All of those kinds of things. So what are we going to do about that? Jesus has the answer. He gives them authority go out and to wade into the middle of this. They're not just do-gooders. The apostles are not just going, you know, um, trying to be helpful. They're not just going out being, you know, let's be, as, as Ralph Waldo, Waldo Emerson said, me build a house by the side of the road and be a friend to man. No, they're not just out to be, they're out to bring Jesus Christ into the midst of this confusion, this darkness, this chaos. They're out to bring Jesus Christ into the midst of that because in him is found the meaning and the purpose of our lives. In him is found the beneficial, healthy structure of the human personality and the human person. We're there not on our own, but with authority to offer that into the midst of this chaos and to try and touch the hearts and the minds and the life experience of the people whom the Lord desires to have with him. First, those who have been called in baptism, and secondly, all others who he wants to include in the great sacraments of salvation, in the great sacraments of his presence, in the great sacraments of his love for others. So as we reflect and pray upon this gospel, let us, let us ask the Lord, to help us to receive and accept the authority of the church in our vocations in life in order that we might be effective ministers of his presence, his word, his hope, his salvation, in order that we might truly be brothers and sisters to the peoples of the world. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.